You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. I just can't do this anymore. Aunt Visser's marriage almost crashed and burned, but she fought her way back to falling in love again and now has 40 plus years of marriage, five married children, and 11 grandchildren now to call hers. As the co-founder of For Better Forever and a certified John Maxwell coach, speaker, and trainer, Aunt Visser empowers and equips Christian women to have better relationships. Today on Thrive, she shares the three C's of pivotal conversations with specific steps to take to have better, clearer, more confident communication with the ones you love most. She also shares bits of script you can use to kickstart touchier talks with a partner who may not be on the same page or level of communication as you so that you can align with love and move forward productively and peacefully. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now, welcome, Anne. Thank you, Erica. It's so good to be here on the Thrive Podcast. And I'm really honored. And and uh, I want to add value to you today and your audience as we talk about thriving in relationships. Yes. Oh, man. No, the honor is mine. You're bringing, what, decades of wisdom to us here today? Like, it's it's a real honor. So I'm excited to just kick things right off with you. Tell us um, how you got to where you are today and give us the the background on who you are and what you do. Absolutely. I have been equipping individuals and organizations for over 20 years to help them communicate. I want to help people communicate in a way that aligns with their values. I am a certified John Maxwell coach, speaker, and trainer with For Better Forever, which I co-founded with my husband. He's back there. I keep him with me wherever I go. (laughs) So I train, I teach, I coach in areas of communication and leadership and uh, mindset and relationships, especially relationships. I want to see people thrive in relationships. So I have been teaching and training couples in communication and conflict resolution skills. I train young people and students. Uh, I have a program that I teach. It's called How to Avoid Following for a jerk. <laughs> it's been written by Dr. John Van Epp. Shout out to Dr. John Van Epp. I love the program. It's based on attachment theory and it's so powerful. And I had the opportunity to, to travel to Paraguay with uh, John Maxwell himself and teach uh, values-based leadership skills to students, junior high students in Paraguay. What a treat that was. It was amazing. And I just, I have the most amazing job, Eric. I get to go into our jail, our local jail here, and I have trained there. And I also train addicts in a recovery home, teaching them how to change from the inside out with personal growth and relationship values and principles to support their sobriety, because we know that their environment is critical to their sobriety. And so I get to teach them how to have healthy relationships, because some some of them don't know what that looks like or or how what toxic looks like and so we talk about that and so I'm so privileged to be involved in people's life I also have a membership for Christian women called the sisterhood journey membership which I love we talk about the four lanes of communication God talk self-talk people talk and leadership talk 
Um, fun fact, I've been married to Malis for over 42 years. Uh, and together with his family, we own a family farm on beautiful Prince Edward Island in Canada. And if your audience is familiar with Anne of Green Gables, that fictional story, I live in Anne's land and it really is as beautiful as Lucy Maud wrote about. <laughs> That is amazing. Wow, like preteen me just just got really excited. <laughs> it really is that beautiful. And so I love it here, born and raised. And I'm the mom of five adult children. Each are married and I have 11 amazing grandchildren. And I got to spend some time this weekend with my grandchildren, which is just an absolute joy. <laughs> wow. Okay, there's so much to unpack there. So I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, this is, this is maybe the, the clickbaity one, but now I'm curious, um, how to avoid falling for a jerk. Can you give us like <laughs> the, the highlight here of that? Because that right away, I'm like, Ooh, I feel like people probably perked up like, Ooh, I, I need to know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, he talks about what a jerk looks like and, um, there are three three red flags of a jerk. They don't have the communication skills they need, so they're unskilled. Um, they don't see how their behavior impacts the people around them. And so they do and say things and they don't see how that really affects the people around them. But underneath it all, they have a persistent resistance to change is how Dr. Vanette puts it. And so they don't want to change. They don't see it as change. They need people in their lives who will cater to them. And so when they see that you're sick and tired of doing that, uh, they'll get down on their knees and they'll say that you're walking out the door and they'll say, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. So we call it promises and presents. They make promises. They bring you presents, chocolate and flowers. I'll never do it again. And the girls at the jail have taught me that when you come back that very same day, they're at it again. They're soul sucking. They're toxic. Um, they take everything out of you. They demean you. Um, they manipulate you. This is the jerk um, personified. And we don't want to be with that kind of toxic in those kinds kinds of toxic relationships. They can be at work, not just personally, but certainly at work as well. And I'm hearing more and more of that, unfortunately, Erica. Well, I think it's safe to say that you did not fall for a jerk since you've been married for 42 <laughs> years. So bless up for that. Um, but I'm curious if you can kind of bring us all the way back to the pivotal moment in your own marriage, because I know this was a big part of your own story and kind of like what got you started on this path for really leaning into what makes for clear and honest and effective communication. So can you bring us all the way back to then and kind of paint the scene for what happened for you personally that really like kickstarted all of this and really helped your marriage too? Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about doing what I'm doing and equipping people to communicate well, because I re still remember the moment that changed everything for us. And for me, I was on a date with my husband. We were sitting in our farm truck outside our favorite restaurant and we had five children in six years. So I just, I like to let that land for a minute because that's one of the reasons why we were challenged. And my husband was working long hours as a farmer and I often felt like a single mom. And so we were arguing, we would go around and around the same old thing, but never really resolve anything. And so I got to a place where I didn't have any hope for change because what we were doing was not working. And we, I was so hurt. And on this particular night, I had reached the end of my rope and I looked at him and I said, 
I can't do this anymore. And I could see the panic in his eyes. And he said, what do you mean you can't do this anymore? And I said, I can't do marriage like this anymore. We just keep hurting each other. We're not resolving anything. And this particular night, it landed in a good place with him. Maybe because of the way I said it, it disrupted uh, our thoughts and our ideas about where we were as a couple and in our marriage. But for the first time in a long time, then he shared his pain with me. And Erica, to be honest with you, I missed that. I hadn't seen his pain. I had been so wrapped up in our children and in my own pain that I missed his pain. And for the first time in a long time, I heard his heart. And that night we said, we recommitted to each other and we said, we're going to get the help that we need in order to get well. And by the way, I just want to say to your audience, I think it's the bravest thing in the world that we can do to say, I need help and to go get help. It's not shameful. It's the bravest thing. And I've told my kids over and over again, get help when you need it. We need help in business. We need help in life. We need help in relationships. We need help at work. Get help. But it was all because of this one pivotal conversation. And I know that pivotal conversations aren't just for married couples. I share this with my with your audience and with my people because if they struggle with having these not so much fun, but oh so necessary conversations, I get it. I didn't know how to communicate in a healthy way. I didn't know how to fight or, or conflict in a healthy way. Not with anyone, not with my spouse, but not with my kids either or with my friends. And so this pivotal conversation was a start of a brand new journey for me. I began to learn what it means to communicate in a healthy way. I discovered that conflict could be a good thing. It was our very first marriage lesson. Uh, Dr. Gary Smalley says, conflict is the doorway to intimacy. Into me, you see. That is That was such a powerful statement for me. And we were like, conflict. No, 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 no. We both avoided conflict at all costs. And here he was telling us, no, conflict can be good for relationship. And in fact, I believe it's the way we thrive in relationships is to know how to conflict in healthy and good ways, to know how to communicate. And communication is a skill that means we can learn to communicate more effectively. And so because of my story and because of the difference that learning to communicate has made in my life, in my relationships, I am passionate about sharing that with other people because I know that if I can learn to communicate effectively, because I am a peace-loving, conflict avoider, recovering people pleaser, <laughs> I know that other people can learn how to communicate well to thrive in their relationships. Absolutely. So then what kind of were the biggest lessons you learned along the way, or maybe also what the biggest roadblocks you see are to having that consistent, clear, confident communication paint us like what was the before and after for you? Like where you were like, all right, to go from, to go from that, to go from hating conflict, not wanting anything to do with it, avoiding it like the plague to saying it's the, it's the window to intimacy in your marriage. People might be like, whoa, hold up. <laughs> Connect the dots for us here. Well, at first it was a choice and a decision that, okay, if you say this, I'm going to trust you, Dr. Smalley. <laughs> and then it's like dipping your toe in the waters of conflict and and one of the biggest things that we were struggling with was being vulnerable. Honestly, I was afraid of hurting him 
He was afraid of hurting me. I was afraid because I was being hurt. He was afraid because he was being hurt. And so that piece of vulnerability to be honest about what I am feeling, what I uh, think, what I really, really want. And Dr. Smalley says what we need, that's the deepest level of communication. So to be able to say to him, I just need a hug was huge. I thought he should just mind read and know what I needed. And it turns out he's not a very good mind reader. <laughs> and neither am I. <laughs> and so I still remember the day we were standing in our kitchen and I said to him, it was a bad day. And I said to him, I just need a hug. And he walked over and gave me a hug. And I was like, wow, that's really easy. Why haven't I been doing this? <laughs> it's, like, it's not rocket science. Just ask for what you need. And people who love you will do what they can to work together. I, I do believe it takes a team to meet our needs and we shouldn't rely on one person, but the person, you know, when we, in a marriage, when we commit, we're committing to care about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so when you ask your person who loves you more than anything, they'll do what they can do to meet that need in time. And so one of the biggest mindset shifts was that conflict is the doorway to intimacy. And then I discovered not only does he get to see into me when we have a conflict, I get to see into me. And that was massive, Erica, to understand that when we conflict, I understand me better because things come out of me in the midst of the conflict. I didn't even know we're there. And that was huge for me to understand that. One day, his dad was rushed to the hospital. He was in critical condition. And, he, and my, husband, my husband's sister was at the hospital with him, with, with my father-in-law. And I was at home worrying and waiting and waiting for word and nothing was coming through, no text, no messages, no calls. I knew they were busy. So I was, I didn't message them. I could have, I didn't. And when, by the time he got home, I was so upset that I just let him have it. Why haven't you called? Why haven't you texted me? Why haven't you let me know what's going on? Is your father still dead? Like, is your father still alive? Is he dead? And my husband looked at me and, and he was at his best when I was at my worst in this case on this particular day. And he said, I haven't messaged you because there's no new news. How can I do this better? And I wasn't ready to give up yet. I was still mad. And I said, I just need you to text me. I need you to message me. I need you to let me know what's going on. I have never felt like I'm a part of this family. I just need to feel like I'm a part of this family. And as soon as that fell out of my mouth, I was like, oh, there's more to this conversation than your dad's sick. There's this other piece that I've never felt like I belong to this family. That was huge for me. I'd already thought I'd worked through some of that stuff and I had, but there was another level and another layer to work through again. And just being able to have that conversation enabled me to go within to hear what was really on my heart and what was really bothering me that day, not only as dad, but my heart as well. So good. Okay. Give us some more of these marriage mindsets here because this is, <laughs> this is golden. I feel like the light bulbs are going off for people right now. Like, Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> I want, you had asked, why do we put off having these important conversations? So I want to give you some of the reasons that I've seen in 20 years of working with women and couples. My women are incredibly kind and they're so kind hearted and they're so agreeable. They don't like conflict. And so they're 
they're taught also to be nice, be the good girls. And so they don't, they want to keep the peace. And so they don't have the conflict. So that's one of the reasons why we put off those conversations. Another one is that vulnerability piece, because if I tell you who I am and you don't like what I tell you, it's risky being vulnerable, right? And so it can be hard to be vulnerable. I truly believe it's the only way to intimacy and to closeness. Another reason why we put it off is we don't know what to say. You know, I find, especially as women, we are wearing so many hats. We are so busy. We leave so little margin for ourselves to think and to reflect. And I believe that the thinking and the reflecting is, is important so that I know what it is I truly want. So when we get into the middle of a pivotal conversation and somebody says, what is it that you want? We kind of freeze. And like, Wait a minute. I'm not sure what I really want. <laughs> I think that's another reason why we put them off. We're not sure what to say. And another reason why we put them off is because, you know, if it hasn't gone well in the past, I'm hesitant to step into those waters again and to really risk being hurt again. And so that's another reason why we put them off. You know, I, I call it the three C's of pivotal conversation. And the first C is to check emotion. And I think it's one of the most important parts of pivotal conversations, because when I check my emotions, I can go within to understand what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's troubling me right now? What's troubling me? And then what is it that I really want? And I ask, I get my people to sit and journal through those questions to prepare for a pivotal conversation. Because here's the thing, often those pivotal conversations, they come up multiple times. It's not a, it's not a one-time thing, right? Oh, we've been here before. We've had this conversation before. So there is time to sit down and to think about what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And it validates those feelings so that we don't have to necessarily act on those feelings because uh, when, when I was at my worst and I acted on that feeling, it was loud, it was messy. <laughs> it wasn't the best pivotal conversation, but I got to where I needed to go to understand me it, with an understanding man, thankfully. So checking these emotions is incredibly helpful so that we can step into a conversation then, and I call it the second C, is to communicate and clarify, to communicate then those feelings, those thoughts, what it is that I really want, and then invite feedback invite that person to share what are they, like how are you feeling what's what's going on for you like what are you thinking about this and when we can invite that feedback it becomes a, a dialogue not a monologue and i think that's what we're looking for we're looking for that dialogue by the way i say that these 3 c's of pivotal conversations are not for toxic people you don't you're not vulnerable with toxic people you need to have some guardrails with toxic people and so the this is for people who are relatively healthy. I mean, we're all messy, <laughs> but we're not all toxic. And so we want to invite that feedback. I say timing is really important for that pivotal conversation. I've caught myself before wanting to have that conversation as my husband is rushing out the door trying to get to work on time. He's the boss. He needs to be there on time. It's important. And that's not a good time for a pivotal conversation. It's frustrating for both people. You don't get to where you need to go when the timing is poor. I say be assertive, not attacking, but not avoiding either. And when it gets heated, it's okay to take a timeout. It's okay to say, look, I just need a timeout. It's good to make it's good to make an appointment then. Let's talk about this tomorrow. Let's talk about this in two days' time. Let me cool down. I need to think about this some more. I am not sure what's going on with me. 
it's okay to say those things and then make that appointment to have that conversation later. So to be assertive about those thoughts and those feelings and about those requests, this is what I really need from you. You know, maybe it's about the messy kitchen. What I really need is not to have dirty dishes in the kitchen sink when I come home from work. <laughs> maybe that's a request to make. And then to work together at a we solution, which is our third C is the we solutions. I think that we can create those we solutions. Um, I do think that when we see the other person as the problem instead of a part of the solution, then they become the problem. And the problem with that is I become the good guy or the good girl that automatically makes them the bad guy or the bad girl. And that makes them the enemy. And I don't know how many women I've heard say, I just feel like he's the enemy. And so when we can see them as a part of the solution, we can work together for a we solution, something that's going to work for both of us. Those are our three C's of pivotal conversation. And this is what I'm finding really works when we can check those emotions, check our motives in that section. I say, check your motive. Um, I had a conversation with my daughter, Eric, if I could share that with you. I, We were sitting around the kitchen table. It was just she and I, and I was sharing with her a conversation I knew I needed to have with our son. It was regarding boundaries. And then I just blurted out, I just don't trust him. And my very wise adult daughter said, mom, that's awful. <laughs> you better check that. I knew as soon as it was out of my mouth, I had a problem, Erica. <laughs> I'm a woman of faith. I, I I went to pray about that. And I recognized as I was going through, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? I recognized, oh man, I'm stuck back in 2005 when we had really significant challenges raising our son, but he wasn't there anymore. And my emotions were back in 2005. And so I was protecting my heart. And if I had have had that conversation before I sat and, and checked my emotions and checked my motives, I would have sabotaged that pivotal conversation because I was protecting my heart because I didn't trust his motives, but he wasn't there anymore. And then later in the day when I had that pivotal conversation with him, it was a breeze. It really was. I know they're not always that easy, but it was because I was able to approach him in a better way because I had checked those emotions and checked my motives, the motives of my heart. So we say, check your emotions, communicate and clarify, and then create those we solutions. I love that. And it reminds me of a, a, a metaphor, or I guess it's not a metaphor, but it's a story my mom had always told me growing up with regards to relationships, where she had always said, you have to think of it like you're playing like a volleyball match or a badminton match. And instead of, we always will put our partner on the other side of the net instead of our problem on the other side of the net. And instead of it being you on one side, your partner on the other against each other it should be you on the same side of the net with your problem on the other side and you together are figuring out how to best attack it instead of it being something that is coming between the two of you and I was always like man that's really smart and that's always just a little nugget in the back of my brain anytime my husband and I are going at it where I'm like okay you're actually on the same team like you're you're in this together and if you can separate the issue at hand and put that away and say, how do we together come and attack this? Oh man, that little shift right there can really make a difference. Are you a volleyball player, Erica? Uh, no, I, I played for like maybe a year or two in, in junior high. So 
<laughs> we were a family of volleyball players. You were talking to the right person. My husband <laughs> put a sand court in my backyard. <laughs> so you get this analogy really well. <laughs> I, I do, right? You serve it, you you bump it, you're yeah. passing it, you're bump it's going back. Spike, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the problems on the other side, spike it down to the other side. <laughs> Love it, Erica. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious if you have advice for any listeners who maybe attempt a similar conversation with their spouse to what you had with your husband, where you kind of had this pivotal moment, brought it up to their attention. And I think, I feel like a big thing in your story was how it was received so well. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's people listening who maybe have tried a conversation or want to, but it's not necessarily received well. So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your advice on what to do in that situation especially if it's like a repeat occurrence or a repeat conversation that just feels like it's stuck in Groundhog Day. Yes. Thank you for that question. Cause I don't want to give your audience the idea that this was easy. It was not that conversation changed everything. And then we made a choice to walk the process and the process through was, um, in, in some, in, in one particular case, there was pain from our past that we had to deal with where we had multiple conversations about the same thing. I needed a mindset shift. Um, he was struggling with something from his past and I needed a mindset shift that I'm going to work with you together. I'm going to be on the same side of the net. I'm going to be on the same side with you about this. And so I pressed in and every time he would be triggered, I would ask him in the middle of it, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And what is it you really want? I asked him those three questions. And that's why I give my people those questions because, and then we added, what are you, what are you concerned about? What's troubling you? Those questions at first he couldn't answer. So I I encourage your people to think about it as a process when it's something that's recurring and don't give up. And ask those questions. And if when someone's really triggered, it's not a good time. And ask them when they're come down again. It takes about 30 minutes for the body to settle down once we've been triggered. But go and ask those questions again. What What are you feeling when that's happening? What are you thinking? At first, my husband could not answer anything. He didn't know. And it was only through the process of that that he began to think about them himself, those questions, and began to answer them. And as he was answering them over time and through process, he began to understand what was really happening in him because it wasn't the surface thing that we were fighting about, right? And that's why I needed a mindset shift that I'm going to be on the same team with you so that we can figure this out together. It was messy. It wasn't pretty. It's okay because in the process of it, we got better. We don't have that argument anymore uh, for a long time now. Every now and again, when he's really, really tired, it may come to the surface, but he's able to regulate it and manage it because he knows now it's not about me. It's about his past and what had happened to him in the past. So think about it as a process and don't give up and keep. And by the way, go for help. If you get stuck in it, go for help. I think three months is long enough to suffer. And if you've been suffering for three months, get some good help with whatever is going on in your relationship to get to the bottom of what is really troubling you because it's not really the surface thing. It's what is underneath that makes it hard to get to the bottom of it. 
Yeah. Can you give, I'm curious if you have any other, um, maybe like starters for broaching a conversation like that, because once you realize you're at the point where, okay, I want to have this conversation, especially if it's totally uncharted territory or something that feels unfamiliar, uncomfortable, or like you said before, where you're kind of nervous because you've had it before and it didn't go too well. Do you have any favorite, um, just starters that maybe feel authentic where you're not kind of like scaring the other person where they know they're about to have like the talk or something <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like ways to kind of bring it up in a way that will be effective, be constructive and not be like totally scary for either person. I think your own curiosity is incredibly important in that moment and then afterwards. So I see that yesterday you struggled with this moment and name it. I wonder, I really care about you and I wonder what was happening. So what were you thinking? I think you're in cur your curiosity and that's why we need to check our own emotions, right? So we can enter into it that soft way. Dr. Um, John Gottman calls it soft startups. So, and, and he says like 93%, I believe it is when you can soft start, when you can have a soft startup, you're going to end up with a better ending. That's really high. So start with that soft startup, whatever that looks like, it may look like. So I noticed something yesterday that, that, this didn't go so well for you. You were yelling at the kids and I know that's not who you are. So reaffirm that reaffirmation. I know that's not who you are, but I saw that you were struggling here. What was going on? Can you tell me what happened? Did something happen before you got home? <laughs> that was often our case. Something happened before he got home. <laughs> he got home like a, like a train. <laughs> But I didn't know that. I, I thought this is me. It wasn't about me at all. It was about what had happened before he got through the door. And so that curiosity, that sense of curiosity, uh, using a soft startup, not the we have to talk, that line is immediately triggering. <laughs> um, the I notice or I wonder, I often say that in my own head when I want to race ahead. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. I wonder what's happening. I wonder what he's feeling. I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder what happened to him before he got home. That slows me down so that I can stay in a better mindset to approach it with a soft startup. Soft startups are those soft startups that land in a better place in their heart and so that they're not feeling triggered. And sometimes it takes a little bit of experimentation to see what a soft startup is, because for some, for me, a touch on my shoulder or my arm is incredibly soft. Now I know from the women at the jail, they don't want you near them. So it may take some experimenting to know what is a soft startup? So it's not necessarily a word. It could be um, a funny face. Um, but for other people, comedy is triggering. And so you need to know your people, which by the way, when we talk about the how to avoid falling for jerk, no, no is the number one link in love to know the person. And so we need to know them in order to know how to have that soft startup. And that's a process. I, I take notes. <laughs> oh, that worked. Mm, that did not work. We'll not do that again. <laughs> what about if people find themselves 
in entirely different communication styles with their partner, where one person is more of like the communication junkie, really intuitive, really into it, really into this sort of thing. And the other person is maybe a little bit more closed off or just kind of um, more traditional, so to speak. I got my air quotes up or just kind of more like this is ridiculous, not into therapy, not into grow, whatever. It's just blowing it off where it feels like there's some communication disconnect there. Is there a way that you would advise people to kind of bridge that gap (laughs) in a peaceful way? I would say what I, I would say to my partner, uh, I noticed that what we're doing isn't working. I noticed that you like to communicate this way and I want to honor that. I noticed that I like to communicate this way and I want to, and I want to honor myself. I can't give up who I am. I need to be authentic to who I am, but how can we bridge that gap? How can we meet in the middle that somehow? So we had this conversation as well, Erica, where time is so incredibly important to my husband, which I did not realize. And so he's like a time communicator. And so he has through multiple conversations, he's dialed that back so he can relax a little bit in conversation. But I've also pulled it up a little bit. So I'm aware of the time factor. And so if we're going to talk for a long period of time about feelings and about I'm a communication junkie, then he's going to tone out at about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. So I I got 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really important to be aware of what is your style of communication and how can we meet in the middle? That's the create the we solution, right? And give giving each other grace for that style, the difference in style and being willing to come a little bit closer instead of being so far apart in it. So good. So, so, so good. I appreciate you sharing all of this so much because I feel like you're just dropping so many nuggets of wisdom for everybody here. I would love to wrap things up by asking you what we ask every guest on the show, which is what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? Uh, This is a really interesting question and I love it, Erica. So I thrive to be, I strive to be 1% better today than I was yesterday. Now for me, if I think about being 100% better, that's very overwhelming. And so often though, I find when I'm striving to be 1% better today, whether it's in my communication, in my relationships, in my work or my business, it makes me way better than 1%. And so, but thriving for me is all about relationships. Um, I had my granddaughter here yesterday and um, she, she set a table for me outside. It was cold here. She set a table for me outside with a beautiful little doily and a pretty book and a little flower. And she said, Dana, my friend and I, we want to treat you to dinner. It was two o'clock in the afternoon. I had already eaten, but how do you say no to that? Because this is about relationship. It's not about what needs to happen. I was working yesterday. I said, okay, I'll take my computer out. I'll work out here while you work in the kitchen. I had no idea what they were doing to my kitchen. She's 11. (laughs) She made me sea foam made out of egg whites. It was all sugary and very cinnamony. <laughs> this is about relationship. 
this is about relationship. And so I'm saying to myself, this is about relationship. And so that's my focus is to have really, you know, surround myself, have an inner circle of good people around me and to thrive in, in those relationships. And the way to do that is through better communication. I'm a student. I'm still learning to do it better, even after 42 years of marriage. <laughs> but that's what it means to me is to have healthy relationships and to continue to make a difference in the world, in my part of the world where I am uh, today, I'm going to make a difference in somebody's life. I don't know where, I don't know when, but it's going to happen today. I love that. All right. And tell everyone where, where they can find you online to connect with you more, learn about your coaching and all of that good stuff. My company is for better forever. That's the numerical number for better forever, because I believe the changes I make, they impact the next generation and the next. So if you've been listening and you've thought about a pivotal conversation that you've been putting off and need to have, I have a free resource for you that can help you. It's called the seven day challenge that will help you get ready for your next pivotal conversation. Each day we send you a short video and it'll have a simple action step to take that day to prepare for step-by-step for your next pivotal conversation. So you can go from not knowing what to say or how to approach a pivotal conversation to knowing what it is you want to say and how to get ready. And you can go to, you can find that seven day challenge at forbetterforever.com forward slash challenge. And that's the best way really to stay in touch with me is to go through that challenge because when you sign up for that challenge, you'll also have the opportunity to get my weekly email called Tuesday Brew with Anne because I love coffee, Tuesday Brew mm. with Anne. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I share weekly communication tips to help your communication in a way that aligns with your values. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.